Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. You're undoubtedly familiar with the old-school romance novel. A beefcake on the cover, perhaps a heterosexual couple. Harlequin has sold billions of these books since they took off in the 1970s. But the bodice ripper is evolving. Today's romance novels feature diverse protagonists, even including men. They offer more real-to-life scenarios and often mash in other genres like science fiction. In the last five years, booksellers have seen a 740% increase in the sales of LGBTQ romance novels. We'll talk about how romance publishing is trying to keep up with the times with authors Mia Sosa and Jasmine Guillory and New York Times critic Olivia Wade. That's all coming up next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. The book business has undergone enormous change over the last 25 years, under pressure from new media and changes in how and where people buy books. Different authors are getting published too, and they're telling different stories. And that's true not just in literary fiction or sci-fi, but in that stalwart genre, a full third of the fiction market, the romance. Yes, there's still sex and love, but increasingly, who gets to be in a romance and how they find fulfillment reflects the actual diversity of the country. This show was actually inspired by KQD's own Bud Gundy, who you may know from The Pledge Drive, which is still ongoing, please donate, etc. The publisher of his most recent book, Inherit the Lightning, is Bold Strokes Books, which has been publishing queer romances since 2004. And that story got us looking at the many ways that the genre has evolved. So joining us this morning to talk about the neo-romance, we have a great panel. Up first, we've got Jasmine Guillory. She's a novelist and writer. Her latest book is Drunk on Love. She lives in Oakland. Welcome, Jasmine. Thank you so much, Alexis. Thrilled to be here. Yes. It's nice to be on the radio with you and not waiting in line at Market Hall. Indeed. (laughs) Uh, We're also joined by Mia Sosa. She's the author of The Wedding Crasher and The Worst Best Man. Welcome, Mia. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And we're joined by Olivia Waite. She's the New York Times romance novel reviewer, also the author of The Hellions Waltz and The Care and Feeding of Waspish Widows, among other novels. Welcome, Olivia. Hi there. Thrilled to be here. So romance is this extremely, extremely popular genre. But I kind of want to get into the qualities of, like, why is one book a romance novel and another just a novel? Um, so in your mind, Mia, like, how do you think, like, what 
makes a novel a romance novel? In my mind, and I think this is uh, an accepted definition, there is a <laughs> central love story that ends in a happily ever after, otherwise known as an H-E-A, <laughs> or a happily for now, which is an H-F-N. So if you've got those two pieces, then you've got a romance novel. If there's a situation where there is a central love story, but the people in that pairing don't end up together or something uh, terrible happens and it doesn't end on an optimistic note, then you're talking about a love story and not a romance. A romance. Um, Jasmine, does that check out for you that it needs an HEA, Happily Ever After, or HFN, Happily For Now? Just really appreciating the jargon here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Nia's totally right. Um, I think when people are going into a romance, that is what they're looking for. And so it, it is not to say that some people want to read a love story that ends tragically. That's that's great for them. But if people are looking to read a romance novel and you don't get that ending, they will be very upset. I would be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Olivia, how about a book like Fifty Shades of Grey? Was that considered like a true romance or was that just something that was kind of romance adjacent? Well, the three-volume romance is an old, old form going all the way back to the Gothics and, like, the Northanger Abbey era. So the fact that you had these three-book arcs for a single couple was not necessarily anti-romance, especially because each book has its own sense of resolution. So it's an overall building arc, but each individual installment ends on that HFN. So I didn't see that Fifty Shades was really doing anything shocking or frightening as a romance author. Got it. Got it. You know, these uh, novels are also somewhat famously have these tropes. Uh, Elizabeth Harris in the New York Times was kind of listing out a few. She was saying enemies to lovers, friends to lovers, there's only one bed, amnesia, time travel, the secret prince, the secret millionaire, the secret baby. Um, when you're working on one of these newfangled romances, Jasmine, are you... What's your relationship to those traditional tropes of the, you know, old school romance novel? Oh, I love a trope. I mean, I my you know, my first book was very much a fake dating um book, which is very, a, a big romance trope. I love the fake dating trope. I had so much fun writing it. But I also think it's really important in tropes to pay attention to the things that the audience loves about those tropes. Um, and also to kind of put your own spin on it, right? Like, I think you don't, you don't want to write the same book over and over again, but you also do want to nod to why that, why people love those tropes, why those tropes are fun, um, why people say like, like, oh, I want an enemies to lovers book because, um, but also like have fun with it. I think that's, I mean, I think that's one of the great things about romances is that the right people writing them are having fun with all the different kinds of tropes. And even, even if you read, you know, a whole bunch of different fake dating books, they will all be different in their own way. And I think that's one of the things that I love about romance. Hmm. Wait, what is fake dating? Oh, okay. Let me tell you. Fake dating is when the central couple is pretending to the rest of the world, or at least to 
a certain portion of their audience in the book that they are dating, but they're really not dating. And then they fall in love. That's the key. <laughs> the, and then they fall in love. Um, so in my first book, The Wedding Date, he was pretending to the people at the wedding that she was going to that he had been they had been dating for a while because he wanted a date to the wedding um so she was pretending to be his new girlfriend and then they fall in love and i don't want to give away too much about your <laughs> new book but there may be some fake dating in the new book as well so. there is but it's sort of a twist on it in the new book yeah 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 um mia did you grow up reading romance novels like do you have favorites or ones that you really like remember I absolutely grew up uh reading romance novels I often um remember that I went to a in East Harlem which is where I grew up and I went there ostensibly to work on homework <laughs> And ended up roaming the library in order to figure out what I would read and found romance that way. And I've been reading romance throughout my life since I was young. And, and when I was practicing law, romance was my escape when I had really tough cases that I had to deal with. And I remember uh, romance authors whose books really um, made me feel like I had found home, like I had found a place of comfort. Um, I thought of uh, Sandra Kitt and Brenda Jackson. There were that, There is a, a book by Brenda Jackson, True Love, that is still sort of one of those books that I think of and is on my shelf and I read it from time to time. Mm. Uh, and it's, it, I cannot remember a moment in my life when I wasn't reading romance. So um, it's wonderful to see that people are finding it, uh, but I'm also sort of um, just thinking about all of those folks who, ha who have been reading romance for yeah. decades. And I mean, in those older romances, were was there a diversity of characters at play or was this kind of uh, a, you know a, a suburban, the protagonist tended to be a you know middle class white woman. Like how how did that work? Well, I remember certainly the Harlequins that I grew up on. That was precisely what I read. I mostly read um, white people in very rich circumstances um, getting their happily ever after, and that was kind of what I was used to until I got older and then realized there were all of these other books that I could explore, mm -hmm. and there were authors of color who were also telling those stories, and so then I was able to access those books as well. But yes, um, there certainly my start was in a very uh, white and rich world, um, and I'm so glad that that world has expanded. Yeah. Olivia, wait, you know, a similar kind of movement seems like has been happening in sort of the LGBTQ romance space. Is there a, you know, obviously there'd been an underground literature of this for a very long time, but when did this start to kind of like break into the mainstream romance world? Well, it's definitely been exciting to see how many trad pub queer romances we've had in the past few years. It's been a staggering number. It feels like an embarrassment of riches. I do want to point out something. Um, when Mia Sosa was talking about Sandra Kitt and Brenda Jackson, 
it it points out the fact that we like to we know harlequins are primarily white that they're this very like uh white straight fantasy escape kind of thing but not all of them are like that it's so easy to say oh we're doing diversity now but we weren't doing diversity then and that's not necessarily always true uh mm. vincent virga was writing queer romances for avon back in the 70s but the the readers who are finding those diverse romances now weren't around for the for the last time so it comes in cycles and there's this really interesting generational thing that happens where we start to see authors of color and queer authors get a foothold and then they kind of vanish again and then we have to rediscover them in the next generation it's this constant kind of forgetting and it's it's a little astonishing to see but i'm really glad that we're in the <laughs> in the discovery process of that cycle now <laughs> We are here talking about this wave of new romance novels, which are centering really a, a wider diversity of protagonists and enjoying a rise in popularity. We're joined by Olivia Waite, who's the New York Times romance novel reviewer, as well as uh, an author in her own right, of, for example, The Hellions Waltz. Also joined by Mia Sosa, author of Wedding Crasher, The Wedding Crasher and The Worst Best Man, and Jasmine Guillory, novelist and writer. She's got a new book out. Uh, drunk on love and her work has appeared in a bunch of great magazines like Bon Appetit, Cosmopolitan, Oprah, etc. She lives uh, here in Oakland. We want to hear from you. Do you read romance novels and have you ever hidden the fact that you read them? And what do you what do you enjoy about uh, the romance novels that you read, either the old school version or this new generation of books? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Eight six. That's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're KQED Forum. The email is forum at kqed.org. One listener writes: I remember how as kids we used to hide the romance novels that we were reading behind textbooks. It was considered embarrassing to be reading them, but everyone was. I had a friend who, in tenth grade, ripped through seventy three Harlequin novels in one summer. We didn't start to worry about her. Now it feels okay to be reading these, especially with those with covers that look like the rest of the books out there. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about the newfangled romance novels of today, which have a diversity of protagonists and are enjoying a new rise in popularity. We're joined by Jasmine Guillory, novelist and writer. Her latest book is Drunk on Love. And Mia Sosa, 
perhaps best known for the worst best man, uh, one of her novels, and Olivia Waite, who is the New York Times romance novel reviewer. And we do want to hear from you. If you're a, an old school romance reader, you've been reading for a long time, what do you think of the changes that you're seeing and what's being published? And if you're a new romance reader, in fact, it seems like the audience is getting younger in a lot of ways, um, what's brought you to this genre? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. So, Jasmine, you know, Refinery29 ran a story in which, you know, one of your books played a played a role where they're talking about kind of this new class of books and the, the different kinds of covers, like one of our listeners was referencing. And talked about this class of books as following people seeking to find equitable partnership in the modern day. Um, and so I wondered, in, within that context of this new, the, the new romance, there's still a lot of sex scenes that go into these romance novels. And what do you think is different about writing them for you now than maybe someone would have written them, you know, in, in a traditional 70s romance? Yeah, I mean, I think the key really is consent. Um, I think uh, that both people um, in the partnership go into the sex scenes with not just consent, but enthusiastic consent, which I think is really important. Um, I think in, you know, a lot of older books, not all of them, obviously, but in some, it was definitely more of like, sort of convincing the woman to have sex, um, she who may have been reluctant. And I think women in romance novels that I read today go into it very excited to have sex. And I think that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I think it makes it a lot more fun for all of us to read and write. (laughs) Mia, how about you? I think the way that I approach it is Again, like Jasmine said, consent is key. Um, But I'm also looking at what's changing between the pairing, what's gonna make this different about them or different about their relationship. Um, Sex is just not uh, sex on the page for the sake of sex on the page. Mm -hmm. There's uh, something that changes in the relationship as a result of that. And it's not necessarily that they grow closer. Um, It could be a turning point, but there's something that's happening in that scene. um, And there's a reason why that scene is there. Mm, Right, it's it's driving the the action forward of the the plot. Correct, in some way. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wonder, Mia, staying with you, you know, Pornography, you know, largely because the internet has become kind of an ever more widely distributed force, uh, and particularly for young people who've kind of been steeping in those tropes since they were very young. How do you think that's changed romance writing? I think people feel freer to write what they've always wanted to write. Um, and I think that aren't uh, clutching their pearls to see uh, precisely what we know many people are doing. Mm-hmm. 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 
Olivia, how about you as, as someone who's, you know, constantly surveying the scene? Do you see kind of the marks of, uh, of you know, the rise of really widely distributed pornography as changing things? I don't happen to think that modern people are uniquely filthy in that <laughs> regard. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of my research is historical and a lot of it is like historical pornography and historical erotic texts. And people have always been horn dogs is kind of what keeps coming up over and over. Um, I feel like that's the first horn dog on forum. Um, I feel like it's a, we should mark this milestone. Well, uh, glad to be of service. But um, there is there is this sense somehow that the internet invented sex. And we have these conversations and I'm just thinking back to all of the absolute nastiness I read in while taking Greek and Latin as an undergrad. And we can talk about like levels of mass distribution and access because it's certainly easier to find it than if we were say a gently bred debutante, the daughter (laughs) of a Duke who didn't have access to Google image searches or Tumblr. Hypothetically. But (laughs) hypothetically, yes. But I mean, those gals still had, you know, collections of naughty etchings like emo D is a classic. So this sense that somehow society is changing because we're like hyper pornographied is really very, I find it very ahistorical mm. because like, yeah, I, like I said, people have always been horn dogs. They find, they find their smut. They create it if they can't find it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. one of, it's one of the most reassuring things about humanity is we're always all going to horny jail. It's great. <laughs> Let's uh, take uh, our first call. We've got uh, Rosa in San Francisco. Welcome, Rosa. Hi. Hi, welcome. Um, I, thank you. Um, I've been listening to you for, since you came on the air and your previous uh your predecessor was on, and, and and I enjoy form much more with you on the air. Thank you so much for being there. But with respect to romance novels, um, I have been reading romance novels for decades. It, my husband introduced me to romance novels. He brought me my first romance book. And... Um, and and while it doesn't have a lot to do with it, you know, I was in an interracial relationship, but the book he brought me was not that. It wasn't Sandra Kidd or anything like that. And um, my soapbox about romance novels over the years have been, uh, I've always read them openly. I never covered the um, covers, excepting when I would ride Muni and people would tell me what was happening in it, what was the end of the story. You're like, no spoilers! <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm serious. I would sit on the 22 and people would read over my shoulder and tell me what was going on. Anyway, um, but my soapbox about romance novel and talking to people and, and people being snide about uh, romance novels is women read And we read romance novels in tremendous numbers. You talked about um, the business and how much money there is in this. And this has uh, brought – some publishing houses have survived over romance novels and women reading. And it allowed them to publish and support uh, poetry, science, and um, just to bring up other emerging authors. Um, because they had this bank 
that came from um, romance novels. Uh, I started reading romance novels in the typical tropes, um, either Regency or Americana, uh, things like that. But as time has gone on, you know, I've always been open to what's going on now. I've read Ms. Sosa's books, and um, uh, I also look around what's going on. I've found libraries to be a great resource. The librarians read them. They don't talk about it, but they read them. And I've gone to different libraries, and the librarians have suggested different books. And I would say that um, the thing is to read. And, in, you know, like the authors are intelligent of thinking people, and yeah. there are things to be learned, and there are worlds to be opened. And as another side, um, I started reading uh, the Outlander books uh, when they first came out, and Diana Gabaldon uh, wrote them. And I remember her saying, they asked her how she wanted her books to be uh published and they said okay if we do it as a fantasy novel we're going to publish say for example a hundred thousand copies but if we do it as a romance novel uh we're gonna we're gonna print uh a half a million copies (laughs) this isn't accurate but that's just right right right. she says make them romance novels (laughs) (laughs) and um and over the years i've watched her her books grow and the world open uh, to the history that happened during those times, um, learning things about plants. And so that's basically what I wanted to say. Rosa, thank you so much. And you you know what you're going to find funny? Our next caller is, in fact, a librarian (laughs) who reads romance novels. Rosa, thank you so much. Uh, Fantastic call. Thank you for for calling in. Uh, Let's bring in Amy in Oakland, who is, in fact, a librarian. Welcome, Amy. Hi. I am uh, thrilled to be here. And, uh, yeah, so I'm a librarian. As a young child, I read romance novels, and it was kind of like a secret shame Even though as a librarian, I am completely, you know, whatever you want to read is great because you're reading, as the previous caller said. But what changed my secret shame is I read Infidel by Ariane Hershey Ali. And this is a book about a Somali woman who escaped Somalia um, because her family was going to, she was going to go through the female rites of passage, and she escaped Somalia. And But what's important about it is that there was this paragraph, two paragraphs in the book, that talked about how Harlequin romances were the books that the girls had to read, and they shared them secretly in the school, and it changed their lives because it was the first thing that had ever occurred to them that there was female desire. And it changed and radicalized all of these Somali girls' lives. Hmm. Oh, my God. My shame went away. Hmm. Hey, thank you uh, for that, Amy. You know, Jasmine, uh, I think, you know, sometimes romance novels are, are dismissed by, by people. And it seems that at least one aspect of it is that they are so fully centered on women's 
pleasure in in at least in a historical sense of these of these books. Do you think that's it's just kind of a part of like a pretty basic misogyny or, or lack of care that that has caused romance novels to be dismissed by some people? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the you know, there's so much kind of scorn towards romance novels and it's really mostly by people who have never read them um and and it's really just I think misogyny you know these are books that are mostly geared towards women they're not all written by women or about women but the target audience is mostly women and I think that is what makes people kind of look look at them like there's something wrong with them when um when these are usually people who have never even stepped foot in the romance section of a bookstore or a library or cracked a book open yeah and mia how how about you how do you think about sort of what it is that romance novels sort of can unlock for for people gosh um think a lot about the past few years and you know we've gone through a pandemic and in that time I have received countless messages from readers mm. saying how much my books have affected them have allowed them to escape a really tough time um, to reconnect with a sense of empathy um, you know, I think for many years, even as a reader, I kind of thought of romance novels as entertainment, and there is no question they are. Um, but there are so many life lessons. There are so many things that readers gain from reading romance, from learning about having positive and healthy relationships, about asking for what you want, about communicating with your partner. I mean, I think there's so much that can be unlocked there for readers if they take the chance and read a romance. Um, there is a reason why there are <laughs> so many romance books that are sold. Um, and it's because readers are coming to it for a variety of reasons, but there is so much depth in the genre and there is so much to be gained from just opening that book and reading that journey and seeing how two people communicate and find a way to live a happy and satisfying life together. Or at least happily for now, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's bring in uh, Buddy from Story, Wyoming, one of the all-time great name-place combos on the show. Welcome, Buddy. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Alexis. I, I love you, man, and love your show. And this this is a great one. But hey, I uh, I often wonder. I had uh, you know married a high school sweetheart. Uh, we were together for twenty four years. She read romance novels the whole time. And oftentimes I, I would look over at her on the couch and she would, she would be smiling and I would say, what's, well, what's going on in there? And she would say, you don't, under, you wouldn't understand. And, uh, <laughs> I'm a log home builder. So I stay in sh shape mostly and, uh, you know, try to be romantic at least on Valentine's day or something. And, <laughs> but, but, uh, and then I got married again to a much younger woman who read romance novels. And, uh, I think in the end, that the expectations of us, um, we fail those expectations as men 
Um, first of all, because we're not reading romance novels. <laughs> and we, I think we have to market it more to men. If this is what our women are reading, then we, we need to know what their expectations are. And your guest, who was talking about this. Well, you could learn. Just now. Yeah, that we could we could we could learn something and maybe learn uh, the male side of communication because oftentimes, well, in both of my marriages, I'm 52 now. I don't think I'm going to give it a shot again, but I think that uh, we they have an expectation, but they don't often communicate it well to us. You know, they don't tell us what they want or are looking for, and of course. Uh, you know, we're just Neanderthals walking around here. and uh, uh, Buddy, I know, think you need to go down to the paperback bookstore right now, right after this show, in, on your break, and get Jasmine Gillery's new book, Drunk on Love. I actually, I honestly, okay. truly believe this. Um, thank you so much uh, for that call, buddy. Yeah. And Jasmine, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm already concocting a romance novel about a log home builder in Story, Wyoming, who decides to read romance novels in order to, you know, like a novel within a novel kind of situation, decides to, you know, learn how to like rebuild himself as man. I think that would be a delightful book. And actually it's very funny because one of my cousins, I have a big family mostly based in the Bay Area. And uh, one of my cousins got a number of dates by reading my first book on birth. <laughs> so so I will say like, it works. <laughs> like literally would just be sitting there reading it and people would come uh, up and be like, yeah. oh. Oh, what are you reading? Yeah. <laughs> that better than a puppy, you're saying. Yes, exactly. Almost as good. Almost as yeah. good. Um, uh, but I will say, yeah. I, I think, you know, I, Buddy has a great point. Like, I think um, it, like, one of the things that I love about romance novels is that they do have good communication between people. And when they don't have good communication, they sort of figure it out, you know? And mm. I think that's one of the things that I really think about when writing is like, how do these people communicate and how is it difficult for them to communicate? And then how do they resolve these issues? Because I think these are all important things for all of us to figure out. Yeah. We're talking about romance novels. These are a new breed that we are talking about. Uh, we're joined by Jasmine Guillory, novelist and writer. Her latest book is Drunk on Love. Mia Sosa is the USA Today bestselling author of The Wedding Crasher and The Worst Best Man. And Olivia Waite is the New York Times romance novel reviewer, also author of her own books, The Hellions Waltz and the care and feeding of waspish widows. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. That's D'Angelo, of course. A romance novel in 30 seconds of a song right there. We are talking about romance novels. Today's romance novels are changing, centering a diversity of protagonists and enjoying a new rise in popularity. We're joined by Jasmine Guillory, novelist and writer. Latest book is Drunk on Love. Mia Sosa, uh, USA Today bestselling author of The Wedding Crasher and The Worst Best Man. And Olivia Waite. New York Times romance novel reviewer. Really enjoying uh, taking your calls and comments on this one. People's different thoughts about how romance might apply to them, both the newfangled and the old school romance novels. You can, of course, give us a call at 866-733-6786 or chime in on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, where we're KQED Forum and the emails forum at kqed.org. Um, you know, Olivia, there's some people with specific uh, shout outs for specific romance authors, and I thought I might uh, toss this one to you. Callie writes, have you all talked about Helen Huang, uh, an autistic author who centers her novels on autistic heroines? They're great stories and I think expand people's understanding of autistic women and their lived experiences and immense capabilities. Olivia, you oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I, Helen Huang, I remember reading her first book. I think it was The Bride Test. And my gosh, the way she gets into someone's head and like, it's it's a rare gift in a storyteller to really bring somebody else's perspective that fully to life so that you you lose the wall between yourself and the book. Mm. And that's always something I'm looking for in a romance. And it's not just about beautiful sentences and well-crafted prose, although I love that as well. There's a connection that happens when somebody really invites you into the character. And that's something that romance does uniquely and spectacularly well. And Helen Wong is one of the current greats doing it. Yeah. Um, I would also be remiss as a critic if I didn't mention Quana Jackson's Bromance Book Club. So Bud in Story, if you want books about men reading romance novels to better learn about the women they're in relationships with, there's your series starter. <laughs> uh, it's, again, that's by Quana Jackson. It's called the Bromance Book Club. She's got a few more in the series out now as well. So there's plenty to read there. That's um, Lissa K. Adams. It is Lissa K. Adams. What do, is Quanta Jackson? Real Men Knit. That's the one. Right. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> this is why we have the panel, you know? We're lifting each other up here. Uh, <laughs> we absolutely do that all the time. That's the beauty of the genre. It really does seem, uh, Mia, like they're, that the romance world is in fact like a world. Like you can you can enter it and it has its own, you know, uh, stars and kind of character types and conferences, like all that is is still the case, right? That is the case. Alexis, I know you love learning the lingo. So we even have a name for that, which is Romance Landia. <laughs> I do. Landia is where everyone uh, loves romance and wants to support romance. And what I've really loved about being a part of the romance genre is how supportive people are uh, with each other. Um, none of the people on today's panel are new to me, you know, uh, and mm -hmm. and that's a lovely thing. Uh, we know of each other and I, I think people really want to support what we're doing because we're so proud of the genre as a whole. Wow. 
Um, let's bring in one of your fans, Mia. Nathan in Oakland. Welcome. Yes, thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say, Mia, um, thank you for your amazing writing. Um, my girlfriend and I, we had been reading uh, different books to each other for a while and uh, thought we'd try something new. And, uh, you know, we don't focus on it terribly much, but I'm white and she's black. So we were looking for, you know, um, a couple in a romance novel that would uh, represent that. And we found The Worst Best Man, which we had a a real big drilling reading. Uh, We thought the pacing and the humor was really wonderful. And, um, yeah, we were kind of curious. One thing that she really appreciated was, like, less of a focus on like skin tone and different things like that uh and more so on the culture and uh i was curious was that a personal choice or was that like an editor's um you know suggestion when you were when you were going through it absolutely a well first i should say thank you so much that was a incredibly sweet thing to say about my books um and i'm so glad that you've read them and i appreciate that very much but in terms of choices in the story. I think for me, the important thing is not um, the fact of an interracial relationship in the the two stories that I wrote in which there is an interracial relationship, but more so um, that that these are two people who come together and deserve a happily ever after. And this is their dynamic. And I like to explore that dynamic, but I don't want it to be the reason for the story or the central conflict. It's never a conflict in my stories. And in fact, I create worlds where um, that's not an issue and everyone kind of embraces the multiculturalism around them. You know, Jasmine, I wanted to ask you about another aspect of this. There's at least some, you know, anecdotal evidence from authors and the the sort of rise of book talk, which for those who don't know is, you know, people who read books on TikTok and tend to drive sales to to books that can go viral within that platform. And I wanted to ask about, you know, the traditional romance uh, audience was conceptualized to be sort of like women between like 30 and 50 kind of situation. Do you think that romance is beginning to skew younger? And if so, do you have a theory there? You know, I think, I mean, I think this goes back to something that Olivia said earlier. I think romance is always skewed younger. Um, We just didn't talk about it, Mm. right? I think there've always been teenagers or younger reading their parents' books. Um, And, you know, people in their, I think there was always a certain point where people in their 20s would kind of pretend that they were over romance. Um, And, but now everybody's just talking about it. And I think that's great. And so I have definitely seen, I, you know, I just had a bunch of book events over the past week and I have seen a bunch of moms coming with their daughters like you know moms in their 50s and their daughters in their 20s coming together to book events I love that um I you know lots of like family groups all reading the same books and sometimes it's the moms who got their daughters into romance and sometimes it's vice versa the daughter's saying like I convinced my mom to read your books and now we read them together um and so I think it has always skewed you know the the audience has maybe been targeted at women in their you know 30s to 50s but women in their teens and 20s have always read romance. Now it's just um, a thing that everyone is talking about more. Yeah, yeah. 
Let's uh, bring in Esther in Mountain View. Welcome, Esther. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I, um, I especially interested in the diversity angle from the point of view of having Jewish. Oh, no. I think we lost her. Um, I know what she was going to ask was going to be about that there weren't a lot of Jewish heroines in the romance novels of yore. Um, and Olivia, do you, I mean, this, it feels like um, there has been an increase in all the different kind of types of protagonists um, that exist. And maybe you could talk about a few of those kind of more unusual protagonists that you've encountered in your reviewing work. Oh, yeah. Well, it's been like, like I've been saying for a few years now, we are really in a golden age of romance writing. Uh, there's plenty of Jewish romance out there for the finding. Uh, my good friend Rose Lerner just has a new one out that's a queer Jewish romance. She has a great backlist of small town Jewish historical romances that are spectacular. Um, there's Rosie Danen, who's writing uh, Rabbi Hero with a porn star heroine, um, who's now a sex educator. It's just incredible stuff. Her first book, The Roommate, is also incredibly steamy and gorgeous. Um, we've got, I know Stacey Agdern is writing, uh, Eva Lee and, and uh, Zoe Archer have Jewish characters. Um, Felicia Grossman writes historical Jewish heroines and heroes in America. Uh, Philadelphia, I know her first book is set in. There is so much, wow. there is so much, there is so much more than I could list here. It's <laughs> such a, it's such a gift, but the general rule is, if you can think of a romance about it, somebody's probably writing it. The only question is, how do you find it? Right. It's out there somewhere. You can get as granular as you want and somebody will have written it. You just need to find out where they are. That's so interesting. Um, you know, Jasmine, I wanted to ask you uh, this question from Madeline. I'm an avid fan fiction reader. Do you find that the prevalence of fan fiction has had an influence on the romance novel industry? Oh, I'm sure. I, I mean, the, there are a lot of writers I know who got their start in fan fiction. I know um, Christina Lauren, who are two women who write as a team, um, start like met each other because they were writing fan fiction together and now have, you know, sold a ton of books. Um, and I, I love their books. They're hilarious. Um, and, and I think, and there are lots of others too. So I think that is, you know, there are a lot of people now writing who started writing because of fan fiction it sort of got them into writing and got them like kind of to fall in love with writing and then they started coming up with their original stories so um and I think that has also brought a lot of readers into romance too either as they see some of their favorite authors fanfic authors start writing you know published traditionally published romance or as they see you know oh I like reading this maybe there's a book like that and then they find out look there's a whole section in a bookstore like that yeah, yeah Mia do you ever read the fan fiction that's out there about other things and and think about it as part of your kind of writing constellation I am one of the few romance authors who doesn't read fan fiction and, um, there are I know I have um, many romance author friends who read fan fiction on a regular basis it's just never been something mm. that I've been drawn to and now I realize you know I'm probably missing out on a whole lot <laughs> 
Uh, this is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. That means Pledge. And one of the people who runs Pledge is Bud Gundy, who uh, inspired this very show. For more information on how to support Bud, how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. So we have uh, another call. We have Steve in Sebastopol. Hey, Steve. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. I'm 74. My wife is 61. She is very vibrant sexually, and I'm not. And so we came up with this idea that we would possibly uh, do a threesome. However, I'm thinking a good book, because we both read, might do the trick. Do you know any authors that have that scenario uh, that we could read? Yeah. Thank you for that, Stephen. Thanks for for sharing that with us. Uh, I'm going to just throw this one to uh, Olivia. So you're just to be clear, you're looking for a book about a poly couple who opens it up. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Oh yeah, gosh, it's been a while. Uh, I'm rusty on my kink recommendations, but um, the first one that comes to mind, it's an older book. It's called I'm. I think it may be out of print, unfortunately, but it's it's lovely. It's called um, The Submission Gift. It's by an author called Solace Ames, and it's about a couple, and she works in a restaurant. I forget what he does for a living, but it is about, um, they have a threesome as his gift to her for an anniversary, and it's all about the emotions between the three of them as they develop into this triad romance, Mm -hmm. and it's wonderfully done. It's just a lovely, gorgeous, incredibly hot contemporary yeah. And yeah, I just I love it because she paints those emotions so vividly where even like small little relationship negotiations feel so vital and and your heart catches in your throat because oh, what are they going to say to this? And it's it's lovely to see to see somebody make um make those those small nuances of really complex relationships feel so world changing. So yeah. Solace Ames is where I'd go. Rebecca Weatherspoon also has a contemporary, I think it's Haven, that's about a couple opening themselves up to a third. And that's in her series that starts with Sanctuary. And uh, yeah, so Rebecca Weatherspoon, they're one of my go-to authors for uh, anything contemporary and queer. Yeah. Uh, they've been they've been writing queer books for forever and they've been really a guiding light. So you can't go wrong with her work, their yeah. work as well. Got another uh, listener uh, comment here. One listener writes, I started reading romance in middle school and have never stopped. People are judgmental about romance novel readers, and I've been told that I wouldn't be taken seriously as a professional if people knew I read so many romance novels in my personal life, so I've always kept it a secret. As a black professional woman, I don't need to give people more excuses to marginalize me. Right now, I've been reading a ton of paranormal romance, also reading a lot of Amazon self-published romance. Though I always know the ending, the ride is where the real magic is. If the author is really creative, then I get really caught up in the journey. One fact we happen to know about both you, Mia Sosa, and you, Jasmine Guillory, is that you were both lawyers before you became romance novel authors. And did you ever have some of these feelings as professional people that, romance would be something that could um, be like a, a mark against you? Uh, and we would go to try you, Mia. I don't know that I thought it would be a mark against me, but I never felt comfortable 
sharing that I loved romance novels. And I remember when I was practicing and had to travel into DC and I was on the Metro, I totally would hide what I was reading. Um, it, when people, even in the work context would talk about what they were reading, I never mentioned the romance novels that I read. And, and it's a shame. And it's one of those things that I regret um, because it's so bizarre. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's odd because on the one hand, society encourages commitment and tells us that finding a partner is a, it can be a goal in life. And on the other hand, the genre that depicts that journey to finding a romantic partner is derided as ridiculous, as setting unrealistic expectations, which now that I'm wiser, um, tells me more about the people deriding the genre than the people reading it. It's just never made sense. But I too was that person who hid what I was reading <laughs> on the Metro and it's a shame. Um, and what I think I've enjoyed in the past few years is sort of seeing uh, people embrace romance novels and be very vocal about uh, their love of romance novels. And I think that's freeing other people to sort of say, what, what, what is wrong with it? Um, what is wrong with reading romance? I actually think it's a wonderful thing. And there are all kinds of reasons to read romance. So the shame, there's no place for the shame anymore. Yeah, definitely seems like you're getting at the point that there's a deep underlying truth to these romance novels that despite everything else in the world, people do continue to try and find partners for love and sex and everything else. We have been talking about romance novels, the new kind, the old kind, everything in between. We've been joined by Mia Sosa, the best-selling author of The Wedding Crasher and The Worst Best Man, Jasmine Guillory, novelist and writer. Her latest book is Drunk on Love. She's a Oakland's own. And Olivia Waite, the New York Times romance novel reviewer and author of The Hellions Waltz and The Care and Feeding of Waspish Widows. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This has been fun. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.